Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, I am Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. Andy, it's been almost a month since we got together for this. How have you been? How's your summer start? It's been pretty good. My daughter is walking now. It's been about two weeks, so she's a handful. She's around the house a lot more. Uh, It's nice this time of year to sort of like – you know, unwind a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's just the low point of the college football news season. Or, if, or, you know, if you're a fan of the program, you hope that it's a slow point right. in news because if it's not, it's usually somebody getting arrested or leaving the team or something like that. Uh, so, yeah, it's just sort of a, a little bit of recruiting here and there and you know, obviously try to get some time in here before things gear up in uh, middle of July. Yeah. I've had mostly Salem Red Sox and high school stuff right now, and it's a nice leisurely pace. I'm excited because this weekend I get to go to Louisville to see Radford uh, play, and it, uh, there's also another tie to the area with uh, Pete Hughes' Oklahoma team in that Louisville bracket. So uh, get to see some college baseball that's drivable. That's that's going to be fun. I, Have you been to Louisville Stadium before? It's pretty. That's where they had the ACC uh, championship this it, year, right? It looks gorgeous. Uh, I have not been there, but uh, it does look really nice. Is it sponsored by – Papa John's or KFC or I some, think it some is. sort of food stuff. I'm, I'm assuming it's at the. Um, I haven't actually looked at all the details, but I'm assuming that it's at the at the AAA park. It's not at the. Oh, okay. But maybe it isn't. Maybe it's on the campus. I. I it should I, be. It should be called Food Stuffs Stadium. <laughs> well, let me begin with a little. What we're going to talk about today, I guess, with Babcock when he sat down with you uh, last week, he didn't realize that the sole reason for that was to provide content for our podcast. Uh, but that's what he's done here. Um, and we're, we're thankful for that. We're going to talk about that wide-ranging interview you had with Witt and, and touch on uh, several topics, financial topics, uh, ACC as a whole, finances. Um, we'll also talk a little bit about castle renovations possibly, uh, lane renovations, a little baseball uh, because the, you know there's a coaching change in Blacksburg. And we'll close it out with a prediction on the NBA Finals. So a little, a little wide-ranging. But I'd like to start with a story. Years ago, when Xavier Dowdell was on the Virginia Tech basketball team, uh, he got uh, Mark Berman requested an interview with him. And as the SID brought him over to Xavier Dowdell, brought Berman over to Xavier Dowdell, <laughs> Dowdell says, All right, a one on one with Berman. <laughs> one of my favorite quotes ever. And that's what I've got this weekend with. I've got a one on one with Berman because he and I will be in the car together on the way to Louisville. Do you envy me for that? Uh, not necessarily, but you've got, what, how many casinos lined up on the way out there? That <laughs> well, we'll pass one. I don't one, feel too bad not, for you. We'll pass one, but we'll stay at another while we're there. The Horseshoe, Southern Indiana. I've never been. You'll pat, you're just going to pass on by the first one. We're you're gonna not going to convince by... Berman to stop for a couple hours. and See, if it were you and I, we would do that. We did that on our way to, where was that, can, Ohio? Can or... you entice him with some sort of food uh, layover <laughs> somewhere? Like, hey, let's get some Mexican food, maybe a little gambling. Huh? What do you, what do you think about that? I, I may try that, but I don't, I don't <laughs> expect it to work. And plus, we're going to be on a tight schedule because we're driving up the day of the first game. So, Oh, uh, oh that's a, horrible. Yeah, it's a 6 o'clock. Yeah, well, it's, you're going with Berman. He wants to leave the night before, for God's sake. I know. I know. All right, let's talk some football here. Um, you know, how long did the interview with Witt last? It was uh, 
38 minutes, I believe, of recorded time. So that was pretty good. You know, normally it's like a half an hour, so it gave me a little bit of leeway this time. Yeah. I mean, it was nice of him to do that. Uh, and apparently he didn't, I mean, every question you asked, he never deflected or, you know, said, Hey, I'd rather not talk about that. Or he's pretty open no, he's, about everything. He's, he's good about that stuff. He knows how to handle even, you know, questions he doesn't particularly want to answer. He can shift it away and into another way. These guys are pros at this. Yeah. You answer without answering, but not be uh, rude about it or whatever. All right. Let's start with the drive for 25. Cause that was a sort of their, the big initiative for Virginia tech was, um, you know, that was unveiled with Frank Beamer being the face of it and all that. Uh, the fundraising effort, what is it, to get 25,000 individual donors? Is that right? Uh, yes. Okay. And and so how how are the early stages of that going? What did Witt have to say on that topic? Well, this time about a year ago, I think they had a little over 10,000. Uh, as of right now, when I interviewed Witt, that number was up to 13,179. So that was a, a pretty good improvement in one year's time. And I think obviously you would expect uh, the biggest push of that to be right after they initially launched this whole campaign to kind of, you know, it gets people stirred up. They get excited about it. The football team's doing well. Basketball team's doing well. I think all the all the things were perfect for this to, you know, sort of get that initial surge of donors uh, into the program. And so you look at 13,179, you go, that's a long ways off from 25,000. And I think uh, Witt's contention is that, you know, this is a marathon, not a sprint. I mean, he said as much. Uh, he did not expect this to be a one-year thing, and all of a sudden they, you know, two and a half times what their original donor base was in the Hokie Club. It's, it's going to be that big. This is going to be something gradual over time. So I, I think he's pleased with the process, uh, you know, the progress so far. Uh, I think their annual fund giving uh, in scholarships is up six and a half million, something like that, so around six million. Uh, so that's quite an increase. I know their season tickets are down about 2,000, uh, so that's a little bit of loss of revenue on that side. But if they're making it up on the donation side, and part of that is from the required giving that they have with the seats, uh, you know, it's not just for, all from the you know 3,000 new people that join that. It's the 13,000 people that are in the Hokie Club or that buy seats and season tickets. There's usually a, a you know a, a required donation that's along with that so there's a lot more money coming in from that but i think just overall he's pleased with the response that they've had from that so far because uh really that that's the big thing about this program is they want to you know get it up in the range of florida state and clemson in terms of the number of donors and the major uh athletic powers in the conference because uh it helps to have you know a bankroll behind uh, a pretty good athletic program you you can do it uh, you know kind of uh, nickel and diming things, but it's not really that sustainable. So I, I think the the whole thing is to bring in more revenue to help these teams compete on the field, and uh, so far they seem to be doing that. You say it's a marathon and not a sprint. Well, you're using Wits words there, but another cliche is that what a, a a goal is a dream with deadlines, right? So even if they're not publicly saying this, this is when we want to get to twenty five thousand you know they have to have a benchmark in their minds, right? I mean, what, what would you say would be a reasonable time for them to expect to, if they were if they are to get to that number eventually? Is that a 10-year deal? Is that I think it, I think it's at least five plus. Mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine them getting to that point. I mean, obviously they would take it whenever they could get there, but, uh, you know, they're, I don't think they're going to get 3,000 people next year. Mm -hmm. And even if they did, they're still 9,000 short of that goal. So I mean, it's, it's going to take a long time, I think, if they ever get there. Right. Uh, I mean, they, they put it out there. 
uh, with Florida State, Clemson. I want to say NC State was another one that had – maybe I'm uh, misidentifying the other school that has a ton of donors like that. But, uh, I mean, those are really, really lofty numbers. Uh, and historically, Virginia Tech's you know, donor base has not been that wide. So, you know, I think setting it out that far, at least they have a goal that they're going for long term. But even if they don't get to that, anything better than what it was last year, what it's been for a while, is going to help quite a bit. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure they have a date in mind. I, I think Witt has even said that, you know, maybe I, I do in my mind, but I'm not going to say that because I don't want to have right. this you know, race to see if they can get by the, the certain deadline. But uh, whatever it is, they're going about the process of trying to grow that hokey club, and that's desperately needed right now. You wrote, wrote a story that came out of this interview as well about the, the athletic department being in the red for, what, the first time in, in a very long time. At least right? a decade. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure exactly. I mean, Jim Weaver, that was sort of his crowning achievement at Virginia Tech, among some other things, is that he had them in a financial shape that was just great. Yeah. I mean, for the longest, you know, before he got there, uh, you know, obviously when Frank, Frank first getting hired, I think there were a lot of issues with the money and, you know, getting to the Big East, getting to the ACC helped that, but... Uh, he certainly got them in very good financial shape. Well, we know they're paying big salaries to their football coach and their basketball coach, but there were there were other payments going out too, right? Like to, there was Seth Greenberg still getting some money, JJ still getting some money, James Johnson, uh, Dennis Wolf, you know, smaller amount from women's basketball. Uh, really, on this ledger, I think this is 2015-16, they were also paying two football staffs because there was the transition there, so there was about six months of that. So, all in all, the fact that they were seven hundred thousand in the red is what I think it was. Uh, not too eye-opening. I mean, mm-hmm. they have they have a budget of uh, eighty-three million, so it's it's you're not even talking about one percent of what their uh, total budget was. So, uh, it happens every now and then. Uh, but I think you know the way that uh, Witt described it is that this is an investment. You know, they were trying to get a new football coach and a new staff and set that up for the future. And you know, we've talked about it before. You know, every year we were talking about, oh, this coach gets bought out and this coach gets bought out, and then you know, you've got Frank. <laughs> you know, he collects his his bold bonus or whatever it was. But you know, the cost of something like that versus the cost of bringing in a brand new staff. If you do it right and get the right hire in there, then you're really saving money over the long term. Exactly. Well. We know, obviously, Babcock's looking at every potential revenue stream he can find, but I guess we were talking off air. I mean, there's there's not a lot of other options, right, outside of donors? They're locked into a lot of these contracts? Yeah, well, I mean, you look at the things that they could control. I mean, it's, you know, Nike contract, Coca-Cola, IMG, uh, Gatorade. These are all things that are sort of locked up for a while. Uh, you know, you know, Wit mentioned that there's only so much you can raise your season ticket prices before you you really just start to alienate your fan base. So you can't do that every year. Plus, there's a you know finite number of tickets that you can get there. There's forty thousand season tickets. That's not really going to change too much unless you have some huge Lane Stadium uh, expansion, which is you know not even anywhere on their radar. They like the size of the stadium right now. Uh, so really, the the sort of unearthed stones right now is this uh, drive for 25 and the donors. I mean, he, he, every time that USA Today uh, athletic revenues report comes out, you look at it, you see like, oh, UVA is about $10 million ahead of Virginia Tech and UNC's in that range and Louisville. Uh, and while those schools have some advantages in terms of uh, – you know, revenues coming in. The big deal is donations. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a, a lot of it comes down to just private giving for some of these athletic departments. So, 
the fact that that's what they're targeting. They're, they're, they're doing required giving for the, to buy certain season tickets. They're trying to grow that group. So it's not just some sort of deal where, Oh, I'll only give money if I get tickets. Like they, they just want people that are fans of Virginia tech who might not ever come to a game to you know support the athletic department by giving money that way. I think that's where you can see the biggest growth potentially in revenue, at, at least until this ACC network comes around uh, in a couple years. And then I think they see that as a, a pretty big boost as well. Well, speaking of ACC, ACC was last among Power Five conference in individual uh, payouts to each school, right? Correct. The average payout. What do we make of that? And, and what are they doing to, to try and change that? Well, I think that's why they're doing the network. Uh, you know, you know, Witt wouldn't tell me he's you know, sworn to secrecy about the uh, money that they potentially could get from this ACC network. But I think the Florida State athletic director told the board of trustees, and it was reported by 247 Sports down there, uh, that it was in the eight to ten million dollar range. Eventually, I, I think it, you know, it, the first year is probably not that high uh, with the startup costs and everything associated with that. But I think they eventually hope that it's eight to ten million and more than that per year. And that's pretty significant. You look at the uh, you know Big Ten and SEC. I think they're up over forty million right now. Uh, that's per school per year, and and those are the two conferences that have the most successful conference networks. Now, I'm not saying the ACC network is going to be as successful as the Big Ten network or the SEC. You know, Big Ten has incredible distribution. These huge schools and states. You know, they're in New York now because of Rutgers. They're in Milwaukee, you know, Maryland because of. Or, uh, uh, because of the University of Maryland. I mean, that's why they did that latest round of expansion was sort of the whole cable TV market. ACC has a pretty good footprint, but I don't think it has maybe the stranglehold over those states as it might think. You know, Syracuse is not going to lock down uh, New York to this incredible subscriber fee per month. Uh, Boston College is not on anybody's radar in Massachusetts. So it's not going to be sort of this must-see TV for all these states with these huge populations, but it should be a boost quite a bit. So you look at it relative to the the Big 12 that I think was in the high 20s, uh, millions in terms of payout last year. Uh, if you add 8 to 10 million to, Virginia, or to the ACC's total, it's going to get it up over 30 million. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of money, but it's a lot more comfortable than what it is now, which is on the lower end of, of what these conferences are paying out each year. Regarding TV, I'm going to go off the sheet here for a second and just ask you this question. You know, the, the, the obviously the big ESPN talent layoffs was a big story in, in recent weeks. Uh, have you ever gotten any? Have you ever gotten close to cutting the cord? As a as me, a, no. Yeah, I, no. I haven't either. I mean. I mean, I, well, when the Orioles weren't on Masson, I guess I, I threatened it multiple times to Comcast. It's the only thing I've ever really been mad about in my life. But I've never, I've never really considered honestly cutting the cord. And I think I wonder how many sports fans have done it because it's just so hard as a sports fan to get your fix if you don't have cable. Yeah, and the other side of it is, you know, I live in a household with a wide-ranging. Uh, TV spectrum, <laughs> viewing spectrum. You know, my wife has to have Bravo. I mean, that's got to be on there. <laughs> I, I don't know exactly. I haven't looked in all the things, but when you start adding up all the channels, like, well, I got to get this, and I got to get this, and I got to get this, uh, it starts to add up pretty quick. And it's just like, is this even worth it to, to stream it? And then you got to upgrade your internet to the point that uh, that is so good that you can watch stuff without it buffering the whole time. Uh, I think a lot of people in the New River Valley find that internet service is tough to find or reliable service is tough to find. We have to do it through a satellite just because there's no, you know, Verizon cords or anything like that that come to the house. 
so, you know, I think that's an issue for me. Like, you know, if I spend $130 a month on cable, like I'm not, I feel like that's a good value. Mm-hmm. Like I'm spending what, a little over $4 a day on this entertainment package. That's got all this stuff. And, you know, I complain all the, Oh, there's 180 channels and there's nothing on TV or whatever it is. But Usually you can find something on there. Like I, I just don't feel like that. Of all the things I would cut out of my life if I have to like save money, I don't know if that would be the first thing that I do. But you know, I'm not of this millennial generation here where I think a lot of them have grown up uh, you know, just never having it quite like that. I mean, some some have never really had the cable like we had it before. Right. So you know, I, I guess I can't relate in that sense, but uh, no, it's not something that I've ever even really considered doing. Well, I can totally understand if I wasn't a sports fan cutting the cord. I mean, because yeah, I, I think sports is a big deal because it's across so many channels, and uh, yeah, you got to have the the networks plus ESPN plus TNT and TBS, and you know who knows where these hockey hockey games are ever broadcast. Not that I watch hockey all the time, but every now and then I'd like to tune in, and it's like what NBC Sports or something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, you know I like MLB Network. That's nice because they have a like game of the day on every now and then, and you can tune in. I, I think it'd be tough. It'd be tough to cut the cord on that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I can't remember the last time I watched a regular show and wasn't streaming it or getting it on demand or whatever. I mean, I just, you know, not going to – I don't even know when It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is on, uh, but I've seen every episode of that show because it's great and it's easy to get other ways. But Well, I mean, that's the other thing uh, with the network is what – you know, I asked Wit, uh, you know, what is sort of the response from the ACC about – uh, these ESPN layoffs, is that a concern at all for the viability of this network and it going forward? And he said, you know, you know, the network is going to be a revenue generator. Like this is something that's going to make ESPN money. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there's some initial costs to start things up, but if they get the distribution right, it's going to be a money maker, not a, a money drainer on that company. So, uh, yeah, it makes sense for it to go forward and, uh, I, I think it'll be a, a decent product once they once they get it up there. I, I think there's always sort of these sort of uh, difficult hurdles to get over in terms of getting carriage from Dish and and uh, you know Directv and stuff like that. But I, I think it'll be successful eventually. Right. Well, you mentioned earlier that you know there's not a lot of uh, plausible things they can do to expand Lane Stadium, but they are talking about possible. Club seating there, uh, new club seating, is that correct? Well, I, I asked uh, Wit, Wit what is next in Lane Stadium. I mean, they have the scoreboard, they have the redone west side where they have all the uh, luxury boxes and the press box redone. Uh, the field's in great shape. They don't really need to add capacity. I mean, they're not even selling out the 60, what is it, 66,000 now? Mm-hmm. I, I forget exactly what the capacity is now. 67, somewhere in that range, 64. Sounds right. Whatever it is, they're not selling it out right now so it's not like they need to add regular seats uh what they can make more money from is if they add more of the club level seating type stuff i mean that that's where you know people will pay a little bit more for a little additional comfort and uh they said you know he said one thing that they're possibly looking at down the line so don't you know get me wrong this isn't like it's imminent or it's going to happen next year or anything like that they're looking into the idea of possibly some club seats on the east side of the stadium which right now is just uh, you know, it's just sort of this wall of seats that go straight up all the way to the top. Uh, so I, I think that's an area they could uh, take out some of the regular seats, put in some fancier, higher price stuff, and probably make a little bit more money on it. Well, Wit, if you're listening, don't do what Debbie Yao did years ago when she was the athletic director at Maryland and they got new club seating. They had a limit of one case of ales 
for every like you couldn't get more than twenty four ales for your like your party, which that wouldn't even satisfy you <laughs> if through a game. I mean, you would be at, like halftime, like what? We're we're out of ales already. What happened to this? Can you imagine the infighting among your crowds over the you know the, the you each get one and a half ales. beers. That's oh, horrible. It is bad. I mean, you know. <laughs> You can go to a Salem Red Sox game, and they'll wait, the waitress will bring you up as many as you want uh, when you are uh, got a club seat like I can't that. imagine why things didn't work out at Maryland for her. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, castle renovations as well. Let's get on that. Uh, the, maybe more, more they can do with that place for sure. Uh, what are they talking about there? Well, they're not talking about a total rebuild. Now, that's not something they want to do. They like the central location of it. Uh, you know, It's right there in the middle of campus. It is a cozy atmosphere. I mean, you and I have talked about the atmosphere in there. When that place is full and they're playing well, it is a very good home court advantage. Uh, it's a very good place to go watch a game. Uh, you know, not when the program's not dreadful like it was for the three or four years before Buzz got there. Uh, you know, asked Wit about it. He said every year they've sort of done something with it. You know, they upgraded the lighting, the sound, the uh, scoreboards that first year they they changed the courtside seating obviously moved the media up uh, that was the big thing for us was being up higher a uh, different vantage point and then selling those courtside seats for uh, I think it was 20,000 uh, for a table or something like that mm -hmm. uh, so that was the next project this year they're putting in uh, padded seats that have cup holders for a good section of the arena uh, so that's you know it's just sort of a I don't want to say cosmetic, but sort of cosmetic changes that they're doing to this thing. This, this not this huge undertaking, but I think eventually uh, they want to look at, and, and they're probably going to look at shortly, doing uh, something that could cost as much as forty to fifty million in their next sort of capital fund raising fund that they're going for, uh, which is more of an overhaul to the concourses and widening that. I think that the west side of it, they want to expand that, so you don't, you know, you're not freezing when you're standing inside, just barely in the door waiting to get in the gates. Uh, there's a lot of comfort things in terms of wider concourses, you know, better concession stands, stuff like that, that uh, sort of would bring Castle into the 21st century. And I, I think there's, you know, some potential, you know, uh, club level seating or luxury ask, yeah. seating uh, that they, they might look into with that. But, uh, you know, keeping sort of the guts of Castle Coliseum, but doing enough with it that it, it has a little more modern feel to it and is uh, certainly a more... Uh, from a, a revenue standpoint, more of a money maker for them than what it is currently. Yeah, and, and from a a coach and team players perspective, I mean, you have that posh practice facility. That's what that's there for. You know, for you to have really nice locker rooms and for you to have a, a great place to practice every day. Um, so, you know, it's not. I don't. I, you know, that's where you take your recruits. You know, you take them over there, and then you say, hey, man come out here when it's when it's rocking and, and see what the actual arena feels like but you won't have to spend your your practices here we won't be scrimmaging in here or anything we'll be we'll be over at the at the posh place that looks a lot like a lot of the uh, more modern arenas that are out there well I will say they are redoing the hallways uh, uh, down by the locker rooms and the media area they're redoing the locker rooms that's sort of the project this year mm -hmm. that they're doing just to get by but uh, I think long term just in terms of that being a viable basketball arena, you need something a little bit bigger and a little more. I mean, you've, you've been in there. You've walked around the concourse. Sure. I'm sure uh, when that place is full, that can be very tight. Yes. <laughs> that can be very uncomfortable uh, trying to get to and fro. 
uh, out there. So, you know, I, I think that's something they're looking at. You know, part of that uh, might be it might be significant of an, enough of a, an overhaul to Castle that it could displace the team for a year. I mean, mm-hmm. that that's an, an issue that they would have to address at some point is – uh, you know, would they have to play games in Roanoke or something Come like that? Come on up to the Berglund. I, I think Clemson did it when it uh, uh, revamped Little John Coliseum. I think they had to play somewhere else. I think there may be some better <laughs> arenas that they could have gone to that maybe made that easier. I don't know if uh, playing at the Roanoke Civic Center or something like that is even a, a viable option, but uh, it's something they'll have to address if the renovation is uh, significant enough at Castle. Yeah, I don't know what, where else it would be other than Roanoke Civic Center. Yeah, I can't. Where I mean, else this, do you go? I mean, there's I mean, Salem <laughs> Civic Center. That's, you know, smaller. and The uh, Vine Center in, in Lynchburg. I mean, I that's a long know. ways to go. I Maybe, but that's another team's campus. I mean, they, they, I they got their own games, men and women, to play there. That's true. You know, but, but I guess you got ice now in uh, – in Roanoke, that's that's a yeah. I don't, I don't too. So these, this is uh this is why it's going to be a tough thing to do, even when they do do it. If it if it has to be uh, some sort of situation like that where they play next year, I think they would try to avoid that at all costs. But you know, if you're completely redoing the concourses around the arena, the top of the arena, I mean, that's that's probably not a summer project. I don't know if you can get just get that done in the off season and be ready. Yeah. Well, your interview with Witt was last week, but if you if you had had an opportunity this week with him, it would have been a, a good question to ask him. Would have been what he thought of Virginia's baseball team because uh, the, the that select- one he might have passed on answering <laughs> as a member of the baseball committee. Yeah, I mean, I know he's he's very excited about being a part of that committee, but uh, there's a lot of uh, rancor about uh, where the uh, Cavaliers got sent. They got sent to TCU as a two seed, while Clemson, who had virtually Identical resume, but finished the season much worse than Virginia. Uh, ended up getting a host site, and of course, you can't say Virginia's facilities aren't aren't nice enough or, or aren't as good as Clemson's. I mean, they're 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 mighty fine up there. So, uh, yeah, that that's an interesting thing that uh, that uh, that Virginia's having to deal with. But I mean, Tech has their Tech has their own baseball news coming out of Blacksburg. I mean, they um, let go. Patrick Mason, who had been an assistant under Pete Hughes and um, didn't uh, didn't get a lot of traction. Uh, what, what do you think? I mean, I know they're building a new stadium or they're renovating everything over there. Um, your thoughts on how attractive a job that might be for for potential coaches? Well, it'd be interesting. Uh, yeah, I think the the Mason news is kind of inevitable. Right. Uh, it was four years. They never made the the postseason there. Ironically, they could never really find any pitching. I mean, he was a pitching coach before he was the the head coach there, and that was the one thing that uh, sort of bit him for a while there is they could never put together a, a really good pitching staff. Uh, I think they were pretty good at hitting this year, weren't they? They were one of the better hitting teams uh, in the ACC, weren't they? Maybe. <laughs> okay, this is how, this is how much we follow college baseball. Uh, it, it's I mean, it's a critical juncture in the program's history. I mean, they're redoing this stadium. Uh, I forget exactly how much it was like $18 million or something like that. A lot of it put up by union bank uh, to, to get a sponsorship on it. But I mean, they're basically redoing the entire seating area. They're leaving the field alone. The uh-huh. field's in pretty good shape, but they're redoing the whole press box uh, concourse, everything that, you know, would turn it into a place that you actually want to go mm-hmm. as opposed to the old English field, which, uh, you know, I think the terrace seating on the side was pretty good for like students and stuff. And I, you know, if I'd go out there, I'd like sitting there, but if you had to sit in that those like hard seats behind home plate and there's no coverage from the sun, it's just right. beating down. I mean, it, it was really had a 
sort of a high school feel to it uh, in a lot of ways, maybe better than a high school field, but uh, certainly didn't, uh, wouldn't compete. You know, I've been up to UVA at their stadium and you just go, wow, this is like a, a minor league stadium at this point. So uh, it's definitely needed the, that renovations, but uh, you have to find a coach that's going to build on that momentum. And I, you know, I think when they first announced it, they got a bunch of recruits. Uh, so that was sort of a sign that, yeah, you know, if you build it, they will come in this situation. And if, if you build it, you're going to get a little bit better recruiting classes. They got to find somebody that can build on that and take advantage of the fact that this is, this is probably going to be a more desirable location for players to play. Uh, I don't really know who that is. I'd, I have not scoured the baseball uh, coaching ranks to know who is uh, who reasonable uh, to bring in here, who's a pipe dream. Uh, who would be able to do it? I mean, it's it's not the easiest place to recruit to, baseball-wise. Uh, you know, the weather's not great for a lot, a good part of the year. Uh, but that's not really an excuse. I mean, Virginia has a great stadium, plays in basically the same weather, and they're a really good program. Uh, but, you know, they made a great hire with Pete Hughes, and he took that program maybe as far as it could go at that point. But I, I think there's a higher level that it could achieve now with a better stadium and a uh, more attractive place for people to go. And whoever this hire is going to be, that's the person that's going to take them to that next level, hopefully. Yeah, and let's not forget Chuck Hartman won a ton of games. In he did. He and, did. And so, you know, it's been done. This is an opportunity now to to reboot your program uh, and to, you know, really establish some serious momentum and maybe canvas the campus and try to get people out there and, um, you know, build a, a, build a fan base. Because that was, I mean, you know, famously the uh, – the crowd at the um, NCAA tournament that they hosted, you know, on the second day was was pathetic. And uh, I, I think you took him the task. I, uh, on that, didn't you? Yeah, I, I kind of blamed the fans for for Pete. Uh, well, this Pete, is going to be unpopular, <laughs> but shame on you, Hokies no, no, fans! No, no. I made it clear that I'm, you are squarely in the crosshairs here. This is your fault. I made it clear that I, you know, I'm not going to tell anybody how to spend their money. But it w- did send a loud statement about how important baseball at that time was to people in the area, and it just it just was what it was. I mean, it wasn't. Um, you know, no shame on anybody, but I also said if you, you know, if you weren't there and you love baseball and you, you know, you want tech baseball to be big, uh, you don't really have a, you know, you don't have a beef, you know, you should have been there because, you know, I understand people that would rather be on the lake on a Saturday or doing it, you know, on the river or whatever else. But if you're a baseball fan and you're now you're complaining that Pete Hughes is leaving for greener pastures, well, you know, I hope you were in the seats that day. You know, that that's one of those things. They probably weren't based on the attendance. <laughs> they probably were not. And Frank didn't even come back either. He he was eagling him to the first day and then he He bought out that whole section for employees and stuff like that, and they're like, oh, all right, enough of this. <laughs> that was the tournament where we had found that Robocop uh bot, right? Well, that's where I introduced it to the Virginia Tech core. <laughs> explain explain what core. happened. Explain what that There's was. There's like a, a bot on Twitter that if you typed in RoboCop, it would respond, I'll buy that from for a dollar, <laughs> the line from the movie. So I told people, we discovered it on the Auburn beat a while ago because somebody had mentioned RoboCop or something like that. We all were like tweeting it and we all got that response. We're like, what the heck is this thing? So I mentioned it to people at Virginia Tech, and then everybody in the press conference, press box just 
somehow worked RoboCop into a tweet randomly. Just like, ah, another run for Virginia Tech, which leads 6-1 to one in the third RoboCop. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, we stopped really trying to weave like, it in at one point. At first, we were like, well, this right-hander looks like RoboCop out there. You right. know, you're trying to actually make it make sense, but it just became Hokies lead 4-3 to three RoboCop. Sadly, that Twitter bot has been shut down. I know. Uh, I, I think I looked it up. Like, the guy did it just to, like, prove a point that, like, you could – get a certain number of tweets just I, I forget exactly what the point was was it but whatever point he was trying to prove he had proven it and shut it down so sadly the robocop uh twitter bot no longer exists speaking of twitter what do you think of pitbull's tweet on memorial day what was it again it was uh, uh it was you know it was, if you just read the tweet it, you'd say oh you know that's your standard memorial day sacrifice. he's standing in front of the red white and blue <laughs> background and, but it's pitbull's face with sunglasses on in front of a flag and he's talking about how you know let's thank all those who, who we made will their never ultimate sacrifice we will never forget pitbull's sacrifice to the country the best replies were like r.i.p pitbull and all that i was it was that was funny but that was a very solemn day of course uh other than that and and so i also want to get to the pimpleton minute here pimp pimp pimpleton pimp pimp pimpleton minute is that your submission for what the Pimpleton Minute it's is? It's kind of sort of a play on the Flipadelphia from uh, Flip Cup. What, what's going on? I don't know if that's going to stick. <laughs> what's going on with Khalil? Uh, I have any, no idea. News? Okay. Nothing. Nothing new. Hasn't tweeted anything? Or... He hasn't been arrested. That's the only thing that you can take from these guys in the offseason is if they have or have not been arrested because that's really the only time you would, he- is... that's the only time you would hear about them at this point. Well, so. this is a positive Pimpleton yes, Minute. there you go. Uh, positive. We're nice and quiet down there in Blacksburg right now. All right, let's get to some things that, you know, sort of offseason fodder that I think that um, – we always kind of look to this time of the year. Um, Stuart Mandel, Sports Illustrated. He was Sports uh, Illustrated. Fox Sports. Fox Sports. Uh, formerly of Sports Illustrated, I think. Uh, he wrote an article. Uh, he's done this before where he kind of uh, puts puts teams into levels. Uh, you know, what, what King is sort of a medieval theme there. Or? He separates them based on sort of prestige for okay. the programs. And he did this 10 years ago and it was wildly popular. He, he sort of updated the list five years ago, but this is really his third version of it uh, 10 years later. Uh, and what he does is he separated them into four categories in terms of prestige. And, you know, I think he said a couple times, he doesn't know why, but he chose like a feudal system breakdown. So you have knights, barons, or uh, kings, barons, knights, and peasants. And he broke down the schools based on, uh, you know, again, prestige. Like, I think a lot of people look at this and they go, oh, Texas, what has Texas done in the last 10 years? Like, no, Texas is Texas. Mm-hmm. Like, it's always going to be up there. Like, I know it's a, a relative down period, but it has a $180 million budget. It's going to be okay. It's it's one of the kings of the sport. It's one of the premier schools when you think of this. So. He broke it down. Virginia Tech ended up in the Barons group again, the second highest, and I think that's a pretty accurate group for them. I, I think you know you, when you think of Virginia Tech, it's not a school that's won a national championship. It got there one time to the championship game when it had one of the you know sort of transcendent players in college football, but it hasn't been back there since. Uh, you know, it's an ACC title contender. You know, sort of owned the ACC for a while, but also struggled when it got past that in some of those BCS level games. Um, it's pretty good at recruiting, but it's never going to be a recruiting powerhouse just based on location and resources and things like that. Budget wise, it's probably, uh, out punching its weight class, uh, where it is right now. It's ninth in the ACC in terms of revenues, but it's, it's in the upper tier 
in performance in terms of football at least. So I think all those things combined, uh, you know, the sort of Virginia Tech brand that Virginia Tech or Frank Beamer built over the years, uh, you know, all those things combined, I think, putting Virginia Tech in that second tier, even with that sort of downturn the last four years or so before Fuente uh, righted the ship last season, I, th- I think that's an accurate spot for them. Where does he have Penn State? I'll have to check. King, right? He still has Penn State with the Kings. And, and I would think that would be your definition of a king. Like, if you could have something like what happened to Penn State, you know, happen to Penn State, and then they still sort of come back from that. And, you know, because look, is Baylor, Baylor is in shambles, right? I mean, right. Baylor's in, in, because of all their uh, issues that they've had there. Uh, you know, I think the sustainability factor, despite uh, the, 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 you know, obviously the Penn State was a special case and a bizarre and terrible one, but, uh, it, you know, it's other things happen to programs, you know, that, and if you can sustain yourself through that, I think that makes you a king. Well, here are the kings that he listed. Alabama, Clemson, which was a team he moved up from the Barons category from the last time, uh, obviously because of the national championship last year, and I think... You know, Dabo recruiting at that level, it's become one of the premier programs in the, in the country. Florida, Florida State, LSU, Miami, Michigan, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Penn State, Texas, and USC. Uh, the one school he dropped out of it from last time was Nebraska, which I agree with. I mean, I, I think a lot of people have been like, oh, Nebraska was the team of the 90s and won all those national championships. It's like, well, yeah. Tom Osborne's not walking through that door. You know, they wanted to play an, an option game in the nineties with a coach that hasn't been there in, I forget when he retired exactly. It's been 17 years or whatever it is since he's been there. Uh, things have changed since then. I don't think geographically they're in a good spot for recruiting. They're not recruiting to that system anymore. Uh, it's sort of not an, in vogue thing in college football these days. Uh, you know, performance-wise, they haven't really been up there. I, I think there are a lot of reasons to think that maybe Nebraska's time as being this traditional power uh, among the elite of college football has dropped. Do you think Miami deserves that, to be that's dropped the one, That's the one that Mandel got the most feedback on, and I know it's the one that Virginia Tech fans are the most salty about because they, you know, the Miami is back narrative that they get every single year. You know, I still agree with them being in that category. Just in terms of prestige, I mean – there's something about the U that just pikes people's interest. I mean, look, they've done three documentaries basically on the 30 for 30, and all of them are wildly successful. Like any mention of Miami has people's eyes. I mean, they say, oh, it's an empty stadium. It's like, right, but they're a national TV draw. I mean, when they're on TV, people will still watch to this day. Uh, you know, they had 10 years of substitute teachers as coaches. I mean, I, th- I think that's the real reason for their struggles lately because – uh, you know they can still recruit great in in South My or South Florida. Uh, I think Mark Rick right now has the number one class in the country in 2018. I don't know if they'll stand because uh, those numbers fluctuate so much as the year goes on, and it, it might be that they just have a ton of early commitments. Um, but you know I think potentially that Mark Rick is going to write the ship down there and get them back at the start of the national conversation. And you know they've won five national championships, and we're not talking about like the 1950s when they won them. I mean it was. What was that 2002 team is still considered perhaps 2002, 2003. I can't remember which one exactly. One of the best college football teams in history. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at the, the draft picks they still produce. I mean, I, I think they had the most in the ACC last year. I mean, they're still producing this kind of talent. There's just been something that's been off performance wise uh, in the last 10 plus years. So, 
yeah, I think if it continues and if Mark Richt is not a guy that's going to turn that around, maybe there are more things uh, structurally within the program that just won't let them reach that level anymore. But I think right now I would still keep them in there. I think I'd agree with that. How did you pronounce that word spelled P-I-Q-U-E? Pikes? Peaks? Pikes? P- I believe it's peaks. And that peaks really piqued my interest when you said that because maybe that's pikes how they – Pikes peaks that, my interest? Uh, no, I'm not trying to call you out. I maybe am a they, sports they, writer, <laughs> not a sports pronouncer. I, I do that I know how to spell words. I always – I don't always know how to pronounce Barman them. used to get on me because I always, always said psychophant. Do you agree do you agree with the Miami rank in there? You know, well, are there any that you would uh, have an issue with like in the a case? lot of things you were saying about Nebraska seem to apply there. You know, that the, their time is kind of passed and you know, uh, there's a lot of looking back at the 80s and saying, "Wow, well, how great those were." And and, and I don't, <laughs> you know, you're right. The draft picks are still coming out of there, but I just don't see, you know, I don't see the Ray Lewis's and the, you know, those guys that just were so dominant uh, when, when Miami was at its best. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think the difference between Miami and Nebraska is a Nebraska's slide has been a little bit longer. I mean, they won, I think they won the 97 national championship. Miami won in 2002 and lost in 2003. Was that the Ohio state year? They lost my, my years run together, whatever it was. uh, They still had some pretty dominant teams in this century. Whereas Nebraska hasn't quite had that. And the other part of it, I think, is, you know, Nebraska won with such what today seems like such an antiquated notion of football style. Like, you know, that Tommy Frazier running that offense was lethal. I mean, they were unbelievable when they were doing that. They're just, they're not doing that today. And they've tried to turn it into a West Coast offense. And that, you know, went poorly the first time under Bill Callahan. And, you know, we'll see how Mike Riley does now and uh, sort of modernizing that kind of offense. But, uh, you know, Miami is is not gone through that sort of philosophical change in terms of how they play the game. So I, I think they're more in line with the modern uh, day football mm-hmm. and how it's played these days. I think they just need the right person to run the program. Yeah. I, you know, Rick, I mean, you look at what he did at Georgia. I think uh, if if he can do even a fraction of that at Miami, I think that's considered a success. Yeah, I mean, I think they're still sitting there waiting to be activated and and you know i think there is some back fatigue like you were talking about the hokey fans commenting on it you know oh they all they're back of course they're back again right yeah we buy it but um uh, outside of that i do think there is potential for them to get back uh, i don't i'm not going to proclaim them back until they get back i've learned my lesson there well but. i mean you look at the other teams on this list i mean what was what was uh, USC before Pete Carroll got there? Mm-hmm. I think it would have been like, oh, this is a, a team that's lost its top tier status. They can't do this. And they play in this old stadium that no, the Rose here, the uh, Coliseum that nobody wants to go to. And uh, but they're still USC. They serve this uh, cachet about around that program that uh, when they get things right, they can get things humming real quick. Well, I'll go so, one step further. Alabama. <laughs> oh, yeah, Alabama was another example. I mean, pre-Saban, that was a mess. It was yeah. just this sanction-riddled <laughs> program that's like, you know, their, their heyday was Bear Bryant. They're mm-hmm. never going to get back to that level, even though they had some post-Bear Bryant success. But I remember he, Cowherd used to re- re- give those rants, and I know he does that just for show a lot of times. But I mean, back then, and I, I kind of agreed with him. I was like, because you know, he, he was like, you Alabama fans just need to realize your, your days are over. You know, your right. time at the top is over, and sure enough, he was he was dead wrong. And, and well, another one of that was Michigan. Yeah, you know, you get post Lloyd Carr, you get Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke, you get the right guy there, Harbaugh, and all of a sudden he's they're a headline every week. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're 
I forget where they finished last year, but they were top five for a lot of the season. You know, that's a program that when you get the right guy in there, the resources are there, the prestige is there, that all of a sudden, yeah, it makes sense why they're a king. So, you know, a lot of people that take an issue with the list, I think they look at it in this four- or five-year span. It's like, you know, they played football more than five years ago. Right, <laughs> like, right. Like, oh, Texas doesn't deserve it. It's like they won a national championship ten years ago or whatever, however many years ago uh, when they won that. I mean, that's not ancient history here. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess for this exercise, I would just tell people to – take a step back and look at the bigger picture and maybe not worry about how the results have been in the last three or four years. Where did Virginia wind up on his list? That know? was another thing. They were in the Knights category, not the Peasants category, <laughs> which would be the lowest one. And, you know, obviously Virginia Tech fans are like, well, what do you need to do? You can't be worse than what Virginia is. I, you know, I covered that program for four and a half years uh, when Al Groh actually had it going pretty well. I mean, they, they were never ACC champion caliber, uh, but they threatened in the division a couple of times. They were going to bowl games every single year. And to me, that's not really what a peasant would be in this exercise. I think they have good facilities. I think they have pretty good access to recruiting hubs that aren't that far away. Uh, you, know, you look at the resources they have there. I think that's pretty good. I think uh, they just, you know, things got out of control at the end of the Al Grow era. And, and Mike London really wasn't the guy to take it from there. Uh, and that's been problematic, and now they have to dig out of that hole. But I, I think the things are in place that that program could be better than what it has been the last you know, five or six, ten years. Any ACC teams on the peasant list? Uh, Wake, maybe? I'd have to check. Yeah, Wake and Boston College. Uh, let's see. Who else? Wake and Boston College. Those Duke, are the two. Duke, too. And Duke, yes. Okay. That, that was another issue that people had. With, you know, Duke is behind Virginia. It's like, yeah. Pre-David Cutcliffe, that program was nothing. And what is it going to be like post-David Cutcliffe? Yeah. I mean, I know they've upgraded some stuff, but, I mean, you go in there and Duke was still, you know, the smallest stadium in the ACC, I would imagine, or close to it. Uh, just not a huge fan base. You know, the, the, the question is, you know, when does basketball season start when you right. go down there? You know, these are, you know, program-wide things. And I, I don't think you need to judge it based off of, oh, they've been to bowl games the last five or six years. Right. What were they before that, and what will they be after Cutcliffe is no longer there? And I think that's why they're still in the Peasants group. Yeah. All right, pull up those ACC odds that you found. Um, somebody, CBSSports.com had them. Uh, Tom Fornelli put this on the from Bet Online. Okay. Uh, what are we calling out of here? Uh, Tech is ten to one to win the, to win the ACC. Is that what plus ten or plus? Uh, yeah, plus ten thousand. Plus one thousand. Plus is ten to one. If they're plus ten thousand, they're be, plus uh, one thousand. Yeah, I think he he had a. Uh, oh yeah, I was looking at Virginia. Okay, Virginia's plus ten thousand, which would be a hundred to one. Virginia Tech is plus one thousand, which would be ten to one. You're the expert. Um, so I don't know. I don't. I don't love that. I mean, he. I guess he says he likes it. I. I well, he's looking for best values in there. Uh, he said Clemson at plus four hundred and Virginia Tech at plus one thousand, which. I don't know. I'm not the gambling expert. You look at these odds. Who would you like out of that group to win the ACC? Florida State has the. Didn't you say you thought Carolina was going to be good? No. Oh. North Carolina. The exact opposite. No. <laughs> I, I, I think they'll struggle this year. The team that I'm intrigued about is Georgia Tech. Possibly. Okay. I think they could be better than people give them credit for because people always look at, you know, how many all ACC players that they have and stuff, and all Georgia Tech doesn't really have a lot of them. But that system is tough. Uh, it's it could be enough to win the coastal this year with everybody's losing their quarterbacks this year. 
Uh, it seems like just when you want to count Paul Johnson out, he has this kind of year. I think mm-hmm. they have a lot of returning starters on this team. You know, that, that backup quarterback they had last year looked pretty good at, in Blacksburg. Uh, led them to a, a, a pretty dominant win against the Hokies. They were flying high at the time. Uh, I just think that's a team that maybe is not so much hurt by, you know, they lose Justin Thomas at quarterback. Right. Well, they have somebody else who runs the option pretty well behind him. So in a year where I don't see a clear-cut favorite in the Coastal Division, I think this could be a season that Georgia Tech maybe surprises some people. I, I like that. Out of nowhere. I like that as a bad play. Really, it's, you, it's you to win the it. ACC. If you get in the ACC title game, you've got a chance. Right. I mean, who knows? We saw it with the Hokies there. last year. Right. I mean, they basically made it uh, a game at the very, very end. Yeah, I, I don't see any other numbers there that I like. I'm looking at it right now. And, uh, they got Miami plus 650 and Virginia Tech plus 1,000. I, I think those teams are indistinguishable. I mean, if you're going to bet one of those two, I would not take the, the one with the Hurricanes. Yeah. They, it just, but they're kings, man. They're kings. Yeah, but it doesn't seem like uh, it doesn't seem like there's any sure thing in the Coastal, so I would not bet the team with the worst, best odds. Yeah. Is that, yeah, best odds there. Okay. All right, let's uh, let's wrap this thing up with a uh, prediction. That's what we like to do. There's not a whole <laughs> lot out there going on other than the NBA Finals. We could do hockey, but I don't think either one of us uh, is. I mean, I've watched more hockey than I have NBA probably, but <laughs> I don't know if anybody out there cares about the NHL playoffs as much as they do the NBA. This is a humdinger of a matchup. Who do you like? How many games? And I'll tell you what my best bet is too, by the way. I'll say Golden State in five. I don't think it's going to be close. I think Golden State's playing at a level that's really high, and Cleveland's got some defensive deficiencies that are going to be exposed by a team as good as Golden State. I'm in total lockstep with you. I, I can't I can't conjure up a reason to bet uh, Cleveland in this series. I, I look for the dog first. I want to take the dog. I'm a dog guy, but this I, I don't see them winning. The bet I see that I like uh, is, and and you would you would take this side too. It sounds like if you have them in five, uh, Golden State minus one and a half games. It's about even money on either side. So they win in they win in five, four, or even six. Right? They win in six games. They win four to two. So that's I think that's that's your play because I don't think I mean maybe maybe they get maybe Cleveland gets one at home. Maybe two. How are they going to get three games? I don't see them getting three games against this super team. I yeah, don't I don't it. know. I mean, you, and you have to remember last year. I mean, that series was over until Draymond Green went off the reservation and started kicking people and got suspended right. for that fifth. I mean, that really changed the tenor of the series. Before that, it was like, I don't even know if Cleveland's going to win a game in this whole thing. So, uh, you know, it's, you, it, the Warriors are basically last year's team plus Kevin Durant now. I was going to say, do you know who the, the Vegas favorite is to win the MVP of the series? Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant. <laughs> I mean, that, think about that. You set the record for most wins in the regular season last year, and then you add the guy who is now the favorite to be, you know, you would think LeBron would get, he's actually the third choice. Uh, Steph Curry is number two, and, and LeBron's three. I mean, you figure if Cleveland wins, it's not going to be anybody but LeBron. Right. So, I mean, you, you basically, you only have one Cleveland choice. So I just, I think it's going to be overwhelming, and I think it could be really bad for the NBA, too, if they if this is a, this is a, yeah, they've been banking on this being like the series to end all series because the rest of the playoffs have been suck. so terrible so far. So I feel like they may be in for a letdown with it. Yeah. So we'll we'll get together again soon and we'll talk about how wrong we were. <laughs> That's usually be, how it goes, right? It's going to go seven and LeBron's going to win it probably. 
All right. Well, that's, uh, that's a pretty long one and a pretty good one. So uh, we'll get together again when we have enough to talk about. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarlane. We'll see you next time.